beloved, you are now tuned in to Three Black Men, a podcast by three black men where we talk about theology, culture, and the world around us. The following content may not be suitable if you ain't real enough. Listener discretion is advised because real recognize real. Here's the hope when we look familiar. Right, everybody, welcome to the pod. My name is Robert, and I am Trey, <laughs> and we're we are the three black men, but we are the two black men within the three. It's a wheel within a wheel. It's a uh-huh. wheel within a wheel. Is it <laughs> as, three as, black as men bl- is, is a trinity, right? So like yes. when one of us is here, all of us is here, and mm. like, yeah, there it is. As the saints say, a wheel within a wheel. In a um, wheel in the middle of the wheel. Yeah. <laughs> we have uh, a special guest. We've been having some good good guests uh, this season. And we have a uh, public theologian, writer, author, uh, many things <laughs> to me, Spencer Hell. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, my brother. Well, my only regret thus far is that I didn't hit record sooner because I want the people, I wish the people knew how y'all was cutting up before we hit record on here. What you talking about, Dre? Yeah, I don't don't know. That's why I wish, because right now y'all can call me a liar and everybody got to believe y'all because I didn't hit record earlier. But right now I'm wishing I had because it was it was cutting up. It's it's gonna be a good one. It's it's some history here. Y'all y'all go back, yeah? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, Ooh, so we're talking about Tamisha's new book, um, <laughs> from uh, Faith Unleavened, uh, the wilderness between Trayvon Martin and George Floyd, and we're excited to talk about this all season long. We are talking about liberation, illuminating different aspects of what liberation can look like in society and faith within our bodies. Uh, sexuality and different things and so your book kind of slides right on in there especially with white jesus <laughs> divested from that and being uh loose from some chains <laughs> and your story um the first thing that i i kind of uh want to really uh, enter this conversation with is a quote um towards the beginning of the book and your your the entrance into your story and you write about this time where you were taking communion in this 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 rough patch in this uh deconstruction patch and you say uh most days it felt as though i did not have anything left to say to god and i was too scared to listen for the spirit's voice Mm -hmm. and so give us a little bit of context for how you ended up at this uh broken place uh and context to this yeah that was in uh that was in 2015 so it was like right around ferguson it was a whole bunch of stuff that had happened i moved away from where i was when trayvon had died so it was like that whole three-year period um was just hit after hit after hit and i know y'all remember the summer of 2014 it was just crazy so i'm sitting there in 2015 uh so and so announced that they were running Um, And I was just really in a place of just just like deep despondency. Um, And what I was afraid of, I hadn't yet been able to like discern like whose voice I was hearing. And I don't know if that makes sense, but like, you know, I was in a very, um, the way that I, my moves in Christianity at that point were very contemplative, like very much like listening prayer and journaling and stuff like that. And so when Trayvon died, that stuff started to get real wonky. I couldn't tell. I mean, there was like dissonance in my head and my heart and my gut. And it was just, it was a hard place to be. So I kind of just shut everything down. Uh, Cause I couldn't tell what the voices, I couldn't tell which voices and who was talking. And I was becoming a little bit aware of why Jesus and uh, of the Jesus that the people who were around me, that Jesus that they were worshiping had no love for me as a black person. And so it was very difficult to talk to somebody that you don't know if like if likes you when you've been talking to them for you know 20 years or something so it was just a weird I didn't know who to talk to how to cry out so I kind of talked to the air basically just like I don't even know I mean what I have seen I love 
but I don't know who you are. I don't know who I am. I don't know what's true. I mean, it was just a really kind of hellish time frame. Um, but I did take communion. I remember feeling at least a little bit of connection with God um, when I when I took communion, when I actually took bread and wine and like, you know, uttered whatever it was I was feeling that day. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's what was going on. Yeah, I really felt drawn into your story at that point because I remember you 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 called it I, I think your tequila sunrise service. Right? Tequila sunrise, bruh. Yeah, Lord, <laughs> Lord, we we've been in the valley of the shadow. In the, in <laughs> the, the valley sunrise of the shadow. And I just, <laughs> one of the things I really appreciated about reading your story was that you really didn't hold anything back. Like I feel as though there are some people who would have withheld some of those details um, to preserve a certain face or whatever. But I think one of the things that often goes unspoken is the actual mental, physical, and soul like beating toll that some of this stuff can take on you. Yeah. Uh, th uh, that that it, some of this stuff puts on you as you reckon with whether or not your spiritual formation has equipped you to right. weather the storms that you must confront, right? Right, um, right. And I say all that because like, I, I read this as somebody whose experience is, is different than yours, right? Like yeah. I've never encountered white evangelicalism in that way, in that intimate fashion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we all have to confront this when 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 life comes and I appreciated like seeing how you had to do that. And I'm wondering if you sharing, like how much of you sharing this story was the necessary component of you entering the the, the other side of the wilderness. If you feel you've made it there um in peace and 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 living holistically and well. Yeah, that's that's a good question. I think um, so here's the thing: like the nerdy answer is like usually when a person emerges from the wilderness or, or or when a people that are following Yahweh emerge from some sort of wilderness or exile or something like that, they emerge with a new way of doing their religion. They emerge with a new way of um, relating to God, recognizing God, talking about God. When they're in the wilderness, they come out and they're a whole different type of kingdom. They're meant to lead in a different kind of way. They go to Babylon, they come back. They Now they've entered into synagogues and the Torah is important when at first it wasn't like that. It was more temple stuff. So you see that like wilderness is this place of like grappling, but also growing out of like the previous ways of thinking about God that had you bound. And to me, I think that's what that period between, you know, when Trayvon died and George Floyd died, the only reason I kind of characterize it as a wilderness is because of who I was when, when I got the news about George, okay. I was just a completely different person. What I did in light of the news, how I handled the news, how much I even engaged with the images was right. completely di different because something had happened to me in those years. And I think writing the book um, really helped me to be able to articulate that to say, like, this was a beautiful arduous and messy process but it was beautiful I'm different and I actually love and know God more um because of it so I think that that's like why I leaned real hard into that wilderness motif hey man we, we could stop the recording right here because that was a whole word <laughs> and a half right now. I, I had to me his main things deep thinker is one of them <laughs> I, I see hey yeah you, you ain't warn me my brother like i read the book but i wasn't even ready we, we got to pass the collection play we need, we need <laughs> hey we need don't don't play with it uh yeah the memo the cash app uh the mic is on i i i think what i love about you telling this story telling your stories plural is like this unique perspective mm -hmm. um it's not uh it won't be uh everyone knows <laughs> that the deconstruction conversation is very tired for me okay. is very boring to me yes it's very it centers uh mm -hmm. white experiences mm -hmm. uh collectively and it's become you know a trademark mm-hmm mm -hmm. I like your story because it adds something to it as somebody who was raised in a black faith. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you were raised in, in elements of black spirituality and mm -hmm. blackness yeah. and you got submerged yes. um, in white supremacy, white Jesus. Mm -hmm. uh, you talk, you know, one section you talk about, I met white Jesus in hell. Yeah. And I'm like, 
<laughs> that, that we have not talked about that pipeline. We've talked about white people being harmed in the church, mm -hmm. um, it, but we haven't talked about what leads someone who is black, blackity black, and what is uh, what seems enticing about white Jesus. And mm -hmm. so talk about that pipeline yeah. a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like I felt I really, really liked writing that chapter because it was so you know, it's like hindsight. I said right? not, I met white Jesus. I said, right. oh my Lord, let me read. <laughs> it's so funny because in hindsight, I didn't see that that's what happened. It was so healing to like go back and go, oh, that's what happened. <laughs> like, that's how we got here. <laughs> because I mean, it was really like, there was, um, there was this beauty and richness to going to the church that my parents were going to and the relationships that we had there. But the white Jesus experience was so shiny. And it's weird because, you know, I talk about whiteness in the book and it's like, honestly, growing up um, in this country and growing up kind of where I grew up, I really don't think I would have been equipped to resist that whiteness, right? Like you're, you're taught to like, you know, you're taught if you want to make it in America, you kind of have to like bend into whiteness a little bit or at least follow the rules. And so like I meet white Jesus and here you go, you go, God is white. Like there was no, um, it wasn't a second thought at first. It, it, it kind of felt there was a familiarity from what I had experienced like in my schools, right? Like I was in um, suburban sort of uh, middle schools and intermediate schools and things like that. So when I met white Jesus, I mean, literally it was white Jesus. <laughs> so I literally met white Jesus in a play about hell. So it was like, from that point on, it's like, oh shit, I'm going to hell. I, my, I'm a sinner. Like I, there was so much stuff. I did not realize we didn't talk about that in our church. Like we just, I mean, we took communion. We talked about Jesus, but it was like, we didn't talk about so much imminent doom and like the world is about to end and the rapture. It was just so much like, you know, if you hear, it's like when you get those alerts on Siri, like, you know, earthquake coming in five minutes, you panic. Like, okay, you do, you don't care where you go. You just want shelter. And I think that to me was like kind of what happened when I found out, oh, God is going to punish you because you don't believe in this Jesus and you haven't said this prayer. So it was like, okay, it was like a no brainer. And so of course it felt like, oh, I'm saved. Like, whew, I thought I was going to die and it was a false alarm. Right. Like, so I think that's what got me there. That's what got me into it. And then as you progress, you start learning, you know, you learn how to navigate. I hadn't learned how to navigate whiteness. Now we're in this position where we're kind of like worshiping whiteness, but it was like, I was familiar with it. And so it, you know, it's embarrassing now, but you know how to climb. If you, if you know, you know how to climb that ladder and become a, you know, a token, if you, if you will. <laughs> True. I, you know, I was thinking, um, reading your story and hearing you talk about it now like the difference even between trey and i and our experiences and trey often says like "Woo, i do not mm -hmm. you know i did my toe <laughs> and right. so white evangelicalism but like i always been black mm -hmm. and uh, <laughs> like I, i've been black my whole life <laughs> and i've been just thinking about like what um what was enticing that like what white Jesus requires of us when we are baptized into that faith. Mm -hmm. And for me, thinking about my own experiences um, that are similar and parallel to yours in some aspects, like mm -hmm. I was not raised in the church, but I did not know that it was white Jesus. I think that's, that's similar to you. I just, mm -hmm. it was Christianity period, right? Mm -hmm. Like it was the true one, mm -hmm. right? Like all of the black uh, believers that I knew growing up, they didn't read the Bible. They didn't know mm -hmm. God really. And so when I got saved, the only Jesus I knew was right in the midst of white people. Right. And so I wouldn't have been able to differentiate the right. faiths in any meaningful way versus Trey has had this experience of being raised in God and blackness, not being at enmity with right. one another. Right. That's uh, such an interesting thing. I just, I've never, I did not experience that until I got out of it. Um, I love that. One of the things that I frequently grapple with, right, is trying to 
stave off this, I guess, sense of arrogance, like, wow, I don't have these problems because I've never been in that type of church. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. one of the things that I recognize is that there are like white evangelicalism has also also slipped a couple of tentacles into the black church experience oh, sure. as we know it, right? Yeah. That's something that <laughs> yeah, that I wrestle with. Because even no, like man. as you talk about meeting white Jesus in hell, like even if the expressions aren't the same, I, I, I sit there and I'm like, okay, how much of this? Like if if, if uh, one of white Jesus's disciples were to come into my church and preach a message, how long will he be able to go before we got uncomfortable? Like, wait, this doesn't sound like we're worshiping the same thing, <laughs> right? Yeah. And it's, the, it's the, that one part about meeting them in hell. And I was like, wow, you, what you said was interesting because the church you came from, y'all didn't talk about that type of stuff. And I wonder how much of that is because of the different ways that we have experienced life in these here United Exactly. States, where like, oh, I don't need you to scare me with hell. I live here. Exactly. Um, it's it's part exactly of my right. experience. Whereas like on, on the other side, like if, if, if you live a different type of life, like, oh, wait, so what what is life without mm. God like? Oh, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of like that over there. You don't want that. Whereas like, oh, no, I, I, I've been here. Like I, mm-hmm. I'm working on fixing myself with God because I don't want this to be my station anymore. Y'all are worried exactly. about maintaining something because you don't want my station. You don't want my situation. Exactly. So. Exactly. And, and, and just listen. exactly right. Right. And I'm I'm sitting there listening because there is this temptation, even in the black church, that sometimes we want to veer towards something else because a lot of times when whiteness is seen as a standard, we feel like we can escape hell by becoming more white. And then the exactly. only way to maintain that is by scaring ourselves with getting back to where we came from, as opposed to like, wait, why do we need this hell? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. And, and, and oh, talk about it, Trey. <laughs> yeah, and and I hear that. I'm sorry, Rob. Rob, about to. I'm, I'm about to get fined after this conversation because I didn't lead into a question right there. But I'm sorry. I, I just love hearing you talk through these things because it stirs mm-hmm. my theological imagination and my curiosity. Um, so even with us having like different experiences or whatever, I feel as though when I hear your story and I sit with your story and I put it in conversation with my story, that I become more humble in where I am and more dedicated mm-hmm. to helping everybody live a more old. Mm-hmm. like existence you know um so i guess my my question here is not a question at all it's it's a thank you for for probing mm-hmm. in that way and and sharing that way because it is it's definitely like a, a stirring reality like a, a stirring mm-hmm. tale that um mm-hmm. yeah i want to i want to get to a place where i feel comfortable stirring those type of things in people so that we can grow to a better place like yeah we don't we don't we don't yeah. need the, the jesus that we meet in hell we, we mm-hmm, don't mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i mean it really is but that's the thing that's been frustrating is like i'm very aware that this book will probably ignite a lot of different conversations um but i think to that i say like this is a part of our tradition um, it's always been a part of the tradition of those who follow the Nazarene, let's just not white Jesus, but you know, the Nazarene to think about the text, talk about the text. He even asked, like, what do the scriptures say? How do you read them? There's an there is an implicit thing there that God is open to the interpretation of the folks who are having to grapple with this text in real time, right? What does the scripture say? How do you read it? And so there's a clear thing going on there with interpretation and Jesus acknowledging that is like one of my favorite things about him. Um, But more than that, the rabbis, anybody, I mean, it was like people would sit around the text and they would come up with different things and they would debate and it would be lively. And that was, you know, ecclesia or whatever you would call it. Like that was what that meant. And so you know, this whole like thought policing that we see in white evangelicalism, the character assassination, like when you decide that you don't agree with something or you're questioning something, those are characteristics of empire. Um, That's not characteristic of kingdom at all because the faith itself is inherently progressive. (laughs) Like if you're not growing, like any other thing that's living, if it's not growing, it's dead, right? Well, you're like trying to get us canceled. Hair. I love it. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Yeah. Oh, no. Am I <laughs> no, really? No, you're okay. No, there's nobody okay. to cancel us. We, we, we run this okay. show. Okay, that's what I'm saying. Three black we men. Keep, we keep three black men. Okay. Yeah, we keep this. the lights on over here, okay? <laughs> hey. We just connect the cable and turn the lights out. You understand? 
like a Mary J. Blige song. But yeah, like I, 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 that's where I'm at with it. And I think, you know, we can always appeal to tradition in that way, like conversation, debate, different theological um, positions on different things never had to get in the way with the community around God. Um, only when, you know, diversity among thinking threatened empire. That's mm. when it became an issue. Yes. And I think um, people just aren't aware of that. They're not given that. And, you know, then that empire gets exported over here. We're far away from that history, like super yeah. far um, to mm. where we think if you don't agree, if you don't align with the way that we're thinking, you know, every church has a statement of faith. There's just little like kind of clues here and there about like how things have shifted from this sort of communal uh, following of Jesus the Nazarene to this thing that has become Christianity in America. And I just, they're just not the same thing. And actually yeah. they're mutually exclusive. Before Sam, Rob and myself were podcast co-hosts, we were friends. This podcast grew out of a friendship. And honestly, it's grown into something more of a podcast. It's now a community. You can take part in that community at patreon.com slash three black men all the way spelled out. And in that community, you'll get early access to episodes, bonus content like writings, videos, even some live conversations that you can take part in. In the event that you'd like to support us but aren't ready to commit to Patreon yet, you can submit a one-time gift via PayPal, where you'll find us at 3blackmenpodcast at gmail.com. However you choose to support, we're thankful that you did. Let's get back to the show. Whoa. <laughs> okay, Whoa. hit her on that last point. I... You know, I I have a question, but I, I do want for a second just to uh, speak to that person out there who's who's inevitably thinking, um, I don't know why Jesus, um, I don't know why that's uh, important. You know, where where do you see why Jesus? You know, where where can you find where can you find him? If you're asking that, you probably do know him. <laughs> I will say that first of all. <laughs> you, you, do you know you, him? Yeah, do you know if he's in the house? The call's coming from inside the house. And I, you know, because if you're in, a, not just America, but we'll just say America, it's funny how that if you say Jesus isn't white to certain folks, they will they will nod fervently. That blank look will come across their face and then they will proceed to live their life, practice their faith, in a way that proves that Jesus is white. Yes. Um, you know, there are implications to what we're talking about. And I really want to say that, like, okay, white Jesus, I've never known that white Jesus, you know, just like, when were you hungry? When were you thirsty? <laughs> like, yes, there are implications to believing it because this type of Jesus requires certain things on American soil. Mm -hmm. It requires certainty, which is what you talked about. When different people throughout your life, uh, mm -hmm. Uh, and leaders felt uh, angry about the questions that you were asking. Mm -hmm. It requires um, a real expounding on what the other is and fear mm -hmm. of the other. Mm -hmm. It requires you to have this fear of the slippery slope mm -hmm. into, you know, into <laughs> sinful activity yeah. in the hell, right? And so yeah. I, I do want to say that for a moment is why Jesus requires something and their implications for believing mm -hmm. that. And y'all do know him. Yeah, let me tap in real quick because I, I know you. I know you got. You're fine. No, you're fine. Go ahead. Yeah, because uh, right there, somebody gonna get hung up on that. And a lot of times, people hear the word white and they think we talking about skin color. And the fact right. of the matter is that whiteness is blackness. Even white, black, those are not biological realities. They are right. ontological realities. Yes. Meaning mm -hmm. that it doesn't matter if the Jesus in your head still has the olive skin of somebody born in that region of the mm -hmm. country. If ontologically speaking, he still manifests as mm -hmm. a white person. Mm -hmm. Like we we, we got we got to go ahead and name that right here and disabuse mm -hmm. you of this notion that just because you know that Jesus had olive skin don't mean mm -hmm. your Jesus ain't white. Exactly. Yeah. Go ahead, tap it too to me. The the because implications. I mean, y'all I mean, y'all about to get me high, but like, <laughs> hold on now. But like, I think there's an element of this, like why I felt like you know going back to that um, day. Um, at that that church where I was taking communion because this idea of like, hey, remember I'm bread. And so this idea of unleavened, and I think that's a really great way um, to conceptualize whiteness because leaven is an invisible ingredient that gives rise to everything else. So it's like, yes, if, yes. if 
Jesus, the Jesus you read in the scriptures is leavened with whiteness. That's white Jesus. And Ooh. so I think you have to, um, the thing about leaven is like, you don't, you have to know that it's in there, right. <laughs> to begin to extract. Right. But if you don't acknowledge, and the only way to do that is to, to learn what it tastes like, what kinds of things does too much leaven do to bread. And so I try to go into some of those things to kind of paint this picture of like, hey, too much leaven will poke holes in your bread. Like too much leaven makes it bitter. It changes the whole, it it modifies and it alters everything. And so when you think about like how you could believe in a Jesus who wants kids in cages or who thinks, you know, the insurrection is a revival. Well, that's because there's Lord. a leaven involved in the way that you think about Jesus and what Jesus wants and what Jesus is after. And you and what's really interesting about that is you, you really don't have to look too much further than empires, right, of old. I mean, even thinking about, now I know we just talked about this theology and I don't know, y'all can cut this, but like even thinking about Babylon and how, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, the empire is like, if you don't worship me, I'm gonna throw you in the fiery flames. And we go, oh, that's such a good story. And what do the what do the three folks say? They say, um, our God will rescue us from this little fire here, right? So it's like the God that we serve. And I realized that that was a legacy that I got from, from my ancestors, right? Not my yes. Jesus. And so mm -hmm. it's like very interesting that we say to people, like, if you don't worship Jesus, he's going to throw you in fiery flames. <laughs> like, that's oh. literally what we say. And so- yeah here are these people, these Hebrews who go, that's not the kind of God that we met in the wilderness. Um, mm. So you can throw us in these flames, but guess what? They won't burn us and we won't be tied up. And I think mm. like, that's what it looks like to feel like you're, you know, living unleavened in the midst of an empire is to know that you're going to be in flames, but you're not tied up in the, and it ain't burning you. Um, and I mm. feel like to me, that's kind of how unleavened faith like kind of walks itself out for me right now. And I think, you know, what's hard for people and what I'm hoping the book does is give them this kind of courage and permission to begin to leave this toxicity because I think I was there. Rob knows I was a super duper, like super duper intense about it. So like, I know what people in that world care about. I know what kind of stuff is not really going to move them and me coming out saying, you know, <laughs> you know, everything is relative, do shrooms and go on a, you know, spiritual ayahuasca journey. Like that stuff is not going to fly. What they want to know is like, does the God I fell in love with exist outside of this space? Like you want to know, can I live off of these? Can I live off of the crumbs that I have? And I, I do think I can't completely knock my experience because I did meet Jesus in the scriptures. Like, and that's who I fell in love with. Um, mm -hmm. but it was the expression of that Jesus and, and what was given to me as a demands or the expectations of that Jesus, yeah. that's where the leaven was. Um, and that's mm -hmm. what was poisoning me. So I think it's, you know, I think people have their own journey, but I'm hoping that they'll at least, you know, recognize that, Hey, like this leaven idea was my attempt to try to make it a more helpful, um, concept to think about how yeah. Jesus can be white. Yeah. And, you know, before I answer this question, I'll say uh, some people in that Nebuchadnezzar story, um, <laughs> you think that you're the the, the uh, three boys being thrown into the fire, but you're okay. Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> so <laughs> depending on who you worship, you might be Worst, Nebuchadnezzar. You might be the ones throwing them into the flames who got burned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was like, like, yeah, I was like keep it, keep it cute. Don't, don't play the kingdom, the the kingdom bouncers. <laughs> yeah, kingdom like, bouncers get burned up trying to go. Y'all like we persecuted. No. <laughs> um, so moving towards the 2008 elections. Oh, Since God. we're talking about silliness, you we're talking about Nebuchadnezzar's. <laughs> Um, we were in same uh, spaces <laughs> around the 2008 okay. elections and um, all the foolishness, all oh, the man. prayers, all the, oh. our world as Christians will come to an end at this mark of the beast that is on mm -hmm. Barack Hussein, Hussein, <laughs> emphasis on the Hussein part, Obama, uh, a sense to presidency, mm -hmm. the morning, the tears, the day of of uh, election day, right? Mm -hmm. Of it was crying about that for that. real. Oh, 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, we'll have no. to talk offline about that. Yeah, we had to stop was, the recording. Combo. Was, yeah, it was tears oh, on no. top of tears. Right. Okay. And so that war within your soul, even as you you felt how you had to vote uh, with what Jesus demanded. And I think of your father wrote you this note because you were talking real greasy to your, your family. I really was. About their choice, because of course they they, they chose to to vote, uh, mm -hmm. you know, towards Black, black liberation. Um, <laughs> but there was something in your father's note to you. The whole the whole note was, was wise. Yeah. But he said, we take our personal life experiences and history into the voting booth. Yes, we do. And I think... Um, what was given to me in, in white evangelicalism was we don't take our experiences. We take knowledge of God and that should be the only thing that dictates who we vote for. So talk about that, that like, I think people need to like, feel that touch that, okay. like, you know, for some people, it's just, it's very clear cut because we yes. worship God. Um, but your yes. father has some wisdom that you knew. Yes. <laughs> yes. So talk about that experience and that, that Tom foolery. Even back then when I thought he was a heathen, he, uh, so I, um, I think with regard to the election, um, I was thinking about this the other day. Yeah. We were told vote abortion. Basically. That's what we, that's what I thought. Like you go in and you vote for like pro-life candidates and, and so, that obama was ungodly too obama, so that's not yeah obama, obama was muslim supported the gays and was okay with abortion so it was like a no-brainer like family y'all are gonna really bring america to its end and the response i got back and the kind of the tickledness i think and the way they were so unbothered by me warning them was like hmm Okay, so that was one. But then I think, you know, what you've got going on is there is a black man, a black man being elected to the highest office in the land and white Christians said that the world was coming to an end. So progress for black people was like the antithetical. Yeah, people. it was antithetical to life and godliness. So what does that say about God? Right. Like, what does that say about God to me as a black person? And this sort of like there was this jolting experience. And my grandmother called me because it was like, wait a minute, I'm living in two different worlds. Like, this doesn't make sense. How is everybody on the phone? Like they partying. I mean, you know, <laughs> you got here to see it. People he keying in the back. You know? <laughs> and then, you know, you go back in and there's just weepy white people everywhere just crying. Oh, God, save the land. Like. It just felt like I don't know how I don't know what a person is supposed to do in that moment because you feel like God is at odds with you. Um, and the thing about whiteness and why it's dangerous and why we have to understand it is because it is predicated on anti-blackness, which means that as a black person, worshiping white Jesus will kill you. Ooh, it really will. And literally <laughs> like that's not just like, spiritually literally. yeah literally yeah i was um, there. my bad I, I, don't know. I, I was sitting there listening um to you painting this juxtaposition of these two experiences and what i hear there is that uh <laughs> white jesus demanded that you deny a part of yourself which of course sounds yes. biblical because we have to deny right. our, our, our mm -hmm. ourselves and pick up our cross every day but it didn't demand the same thing of the people who were already like, no, no, white Jesus just Ooh, now that the wholeness of who they were <laughs> while it made you deny, like, no, th th this is not what it looks like over here. Because the other other Jesus did, did not demand the same things of you. Like it demanded that you deny some parts, but not like the fundamental nature of who you are. And we have mm -hmm. to ask ourselves a question because when we talk about a wilderness, what drives people to the wilderness is God responding to the fact that, wait a second, you are preventing these people from experiencing the fullness of who I've called them to be. Mm -hmm. And God mm -hmm. will then call them out of a place and direct them to another place. Whether you're talking about mm -hmm. Abraham leaving the land of his fathers, whether we're talking about mm -hmm. the Hebrews leaving Egypt, whatever, God responds mm -hmm. to people being uh, prevented from experiencing the fullness of who they are, being forced to perform yes. a role that God did not design them to perform 
by right. drawing them out through a wilderness and like, no, now you can live into your truest self. Now you can mm -hmm. live into the promise that I have for you. And I'm mm -hmm. hearing the fact that as you guys say that, like, no, it, white Jesus kill you. Yeah. And, 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 yeah. and as you said, not just the, the, the spiritual sense, but also the physical sense, but also, yeah, in a theological sense, you yes. lose your humanity in dealing with white yes. Jesus. You then become yeah. this ephemeral I think I said that word wrong. That's how you can tell I read too much because I don't know how to pronounce the words that be in my head. <laughs> no, you're good. You're right? <laughs> but yeah, like you you lose this part of you in order to become some otherly spiritual being that is no longer tied to the body that God gave you on purpose. Right. So you have and to associate. Yes. Yes. Because you can, the clearest example of that is how uh, Taylor Swift was talked about in those circles or not talked about country music wasn't talked about but beyonce was mm -hmm. literally the devil illuminati in the devil. right the illuminati and oprah. often talked to oprah yeah <laughs> but not dave ramsey though <laughs> yeah yeah exactly but not dave ramsey right and so that does make you an enemy of yourself mm -hmm. to yourself mm -hmm. the depression that is common for black people in those circles mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um issues with hate hatred of the body mm -hmm. uh fat phobia these different mm -hmm. things that are truly what you're saying that anti-blackness is mm -hmm. inherent in that belief system yes. and you become an enemy of your own people right exactly. so so anyway more, more thoughts on 2008 election barack obama it, uh yeah <laughs> i mean yeah it was embarrassing it was embarrassing to be around black people during that time i have so much embarrassment like and that's the biggest regret. Like I totally missed out on a massive moment in black history. Um, mm. 2008 was like, I, I mean, I just went to the, um, the African-American museum and did this, like, just kind of this, and I don't want to say a ritual or whatever. It wasn't that deep. Cause I would have been kicked out, but I went to the part where they have like a, um, an exhibit around Obama and I just wept um, and kind mm. of like, um took out part of the book and read it and talked to my grandmother like you know it was just kind of a closure sort of thing for me but I think yeah 2008 was the well it was the second so it was Katrina and then 2008 and then by the time Trayvon happened it was like something is not right like something's not right here and uh for people to be saying that you know, even though it was conflicting in 2008, people are saying, we, we feel the heartbeat of the Lord. We, we, we know the Lord's heart. God speaks to us. Jesus is talking to us. We speak for Jesus. We're mouthpieces. So in 2008, it was kind of like, well, maybe, maybe I do need to like, you know, surrender my blackness and just like go with what God is asking me to do. I don't want anything to come before Jesus. And then in 2012, feeling like y'all don't have nothing to say about Trayvon. How is Jesus not talking about this though? <laughs> like, this is tearing me up. Like, so it just felt like, oh, Jesus gives no Fs about you. Like who you are, what matters to you, how you live and move in this society, how you experience this society. Jesus has no um, care for that. Um, and I realized that like whiteness really is the reason behind a lot of that um regret and and sort of like turning in on myself like you said um so I mean that's that's what happened I mean that's well I don't remember what chapter that is in the book but uh I think it's in like the second part or something like that but 2008 was kind of a wake-up call and I was with Rob at the time <laughs> we were near and dear to each other that, 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 that was a time time that yeah, was a time, time bro that was what i would never i wish am i on candid camera is this camera <laughs> on me <laughs> um, the weeping remember, the gnashing I mean, how of did you how did you experience it then i think um oh that just made me emotional mm. i i went from laughing to like oh <laughs> who's got no in here i um 2000s 2007 going into 2008 um was the start of you know my deconstruction i would say i think i was i was like wait something isn't adding up here <laughs> like um i'm just not i began asking those questions like what i need to do to perform here feels like too much for me and mm -hmm. i started noticing the language that people would use mm -hmm around Obama by 2010, mm -hmm. I was like, yo, that was like, I just was so sick 
inside, right? Mm -hmm. Because I would, the way that we would speak about him in prayer was this nastiness that even if he was a quote unquote unbeliever, this vitriol that we had mm -hmm. uh, when we prayed for him and his family did not feel like God to me. And so mm -hmm. in 2008, I felt so, I think lonely is the word that I would use. I think that's mm -hmm. why I feel emotional is even being connected to you and others. I mm -hmm. felt adrift from my culture in a way that was really uh, mm -hmm. uh, prominent. Mm -hmm. And where before I'd had this certainty I hadn't really thought of being black and being Christian right. until that moment, election day, and feeling like there were so many people who called me and texted me like, congrats, Obama. Like, and I was like, I made a mistake. Yeah. You know, I I felt like for me, this sounds so dramatic. I felt like I don't know if God could ever forgive me. I think mm -hmm. um, I've never said that publicly. Mm -hmm. I, I did feel like that, like. Mm -hmm. I made a mistake. I don't know how to go back again. Mm -hmm. And my grandmother used to say this thing, like sometimes people don't know how to go home again. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I felt that in, in that moment, I felt like, you know, we laughed, we try to laugh it off, you know, yeah. as, as we did, but it, it hurt me in my soul in a way that's taken me. I honestly, I'm still healing from that. If, mm -hmm. if I'm honest. So mm -hmm. that day was, they were weeping for one thing inside. I was weeping for another. Like, y'all, I miss this whole boat. Yeah. <laughs> Played yeah. around with y'all. Yeah. <laughs> like, with y'all. So then by the time 2016 comes, that's when I felt what you're feeling. Like, what? Are you kidding me? I remember just being like, oh, my gosh. It was racism. Like yes. it had nothing to do with God. It had nothing to do with righteousness. Like it bro, like by the time and hearing people, and that's where I was at in that 2015, which is why it was po po um, poetic to me for God to be like, hey, I'm still here. He let's finally talk about what's been going on here. Because it was just like, how are y'all seeing Jesus in this and not in this man? Like it just was so. It was just beyond me. Uh, it was staggering to me. And I I mean, I hear you. It was emotional. It is emotional. I think I think there are a lot of like black people who joined um white evangelical movements and became leaders in those movements, um, and became tokenized in those movements, those who are still in those movements because it costs too much to leave. Like there is a lot of internal damage um that I think. I don't even think we're really aware of because there is this cosmic anti-blackness that you don't even know is happening in your life. <laughs> um, you lose everything. I'm, I'm thinking I hear what you're saying. You do lose everything to leave white Jesus in yeah. a way that's not the godly forsaking your, forsaking your mother and father's house. Huh. You lose everything. You know, you talk about that. It costs too much to really get out of that boat. Mm -hmm. um, it does cost everything. It does. And, and I think that that makes that 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 valley so hard. That makes a tequila sunrise <laughs> necessary because like it costs everything to leave this. You know, it was real easy to come in. <laughs> you know, like come here's a little bit of candy. <laughs> I'm like, I like candy, so <laughs> brother like right. eating. And, um, once you get there, they're like, oh, you are gonna have to give up everything. It's a gang. Yeah, it's a, it's a whole gang initiation again. I'm trying to yeah. tell you that that's what they did. They they lured. I'm telling you, they lured our ancestors. Okay, this is, same way. This is they so lured them, Trey. Yeah, talk about it. Yeah, lured them to the boat. A, I'm sitting with something you mentioned earlier about uh, basically having uh, coming out of this space and 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 sitting with the fact that you did learn about Jesus, that you did find something of God in this space that you had to take with me. Yeah. And I think that that's a common wrestle, a common struggle that people going through whatever this process, whether you call it deconstruction or decolonizing or disentangling. I call it unleavening. There you go. I'm, we gonna call hey. it unleavening. That's what it is. Hey. That's that whole thing. Forget, forget. <laughs> rewind. Shameless plug. People going and through this through this unleavening process. Yo, ain't no, ain't nothing. Yeah, shameless all the way. Ain't no shame on that. That's what that's what we're here for. Um, 
but there's this uh, thing in which this Jesus that we have encountered in these ways, like this white Jesus is largely, it's almost like one of them prank shows where they put all the layers of makeup on and they, and they try to make somebody look real elderly or something like that. And you, mm-hmm. and you think you've encountered this person and as all of these layers are stripped away, like, wait a second, the person that is buried beneath this facade like yeah. beneath all of the prosthetics that we put on top of that there is a whole different person there and yeah. and and we are forced to encounter that person anew like our whole mm-hmm. reality everything that we trusted before mm-hmm. has to be re-examined in light of the fact that we realize we've fallen for a counterfeit that, that, that oh, we've yeah. been had right um yeah. and a lot of times that process scares people away from like stripping anything away like no put put the prosthetics back on i don't, I don't want to re-examine my reality exactly. but what you've done in taking us through this wilderness from trayvon martin to george floyd is is let us know all of the things that you've had to wrestle with as more and more layers got peeled away mm-hmm. and i love that you don't end with a note of despair but a note of joy and having found that you actually like the person that you found beneath the prosthetics yes both the jesus that is underneath all of that makeup and then the the person that that jesus helped you find inside Mm -hmm. of you yes and so um if you could i would love if you could speak to a moment about what that has been like and and i would say sticking the themes here the the liberation that you found on the other side of unleavened. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, so good. So here I've been sitting with um this one phrase it, that Christ in you is the hope of glory and Christ in me. And I didn't realize that I had to reconcile with me and love me to mm-hmm. really <laughs> to really understand the dynamism in my relationship with Jesus. Mm. It it just doesn't work without me involved. (laughs) Mm. And Mm. like all these other spaces I was in were content to have a shell of me, to have me there working and dissociated or whatever. It didn't matter. It was bottom line. Um, That is a product of whiteness. But I think what unleavening did is it left me in a room with me and I'm realizing all the ways that I've harmed myself. I'm realizing all the things I didn't see about myself. I'm realizing things now um, that I wasn't even safe to learn about myself. <laughs> you know, they, I was in survival mode. You don't have time for self-exploration when you're trying to <laughs> survive. Like, mm-hmm. so I think um, the beauty that I found in the wilderness is that like, there it, it's so crazy that some of these passages stick with me, but I come up and I'm leaning really, I'm leaning on God. I'm leaning on my beloved coming out of this wilderness, which was something that we used to sing about. Like we thought, like I used to sing about that. Like I knew what it meant. Um, I really know what it means now. Um, Mm -hmm. That really is like, you go from these moments of um, revelation, like the more I'm seeing myself, the more I'm recognizing Jesus in me and other people. Um, And this is the funny part is like, you know, at, at a point when I came out of the wilderness, I wasn't even sure what to call myself. Like, I, because I, I just don't, um, whatever Christianity is in this society right now, I don't want no parts of that, but I am still enthralled with Jesus. I love Jesus. Um, and so I was like, you know, what keeps happening as I'm being true to myself and like chasing, just chasing light, um, is that I haven't had to stop chasing Jesus And that's been beautiful because it reconciles all those crumbs like Mm -hmm. to themselves now. So it's like, oh, I still know you. And it's like a deeper knowing. And I really don't know another way. Robert's the contemplative. I I don't know another way to like kind of like describe that depth that I'm experiencing now Mm -hmm. because I did love Jesus in a deep way. I loved what I read in the gospels, Um, but I loved Jesus at, at my own expense. So now to bring that to the text and to the table and get to keep my love for Jesus, like it's, it's being in the fire, but not being burned. Like people are saying all kinds of horrible things, but I'm not bound like, and I'm not burning up. And also there's like this beautiful image of this son of man that appears out of nowhere who had the same experience, right? Like he went through fire and was not burned and was not bound, but he went into the fire. Like he came 
as God into an empire. <laughs> like, right. I mean, that's what happens to goodness when mm -hmm. it comes into empire. You, you know, it usually dies, <laughs> or right. at least if it confronts it, right? Um, it will usually die or at least be punished. And so I think that that's what I'm realizing is like coming out of this wilderness, I'm not afraid of um, the tyranny of whiteness. I'm not afraid of even the the characterization of whiteness of who I am or what I believe or how I live in the world because I am not bound and God is in here with me <laughs> and I don't need you to affirm that for me I don't need mm -hmm. your approval I don't need your affirmation I don't need your validation it's nice to know that that something I'm saying or doing is resonating but it's like coming to Jesus in my body in my full full humanity denying my ego not my humanity that's the yes. difference yes you deny that mm. ego and follow you don't deny your humanity <laughs> like that doesn't even make yeah. sense so i mm. feel like that's what i'm on right now and that i think is a product of those years between trayvon and, and george for sure and i just really want to honor those two men like um because black people don't need to keep dying for america white america to see her mm -hmm. sins, but they do. And so like, I think what I wanna try to do is shed light on that and try to extract whatever, um, extract any kind of like beauty from, from those ashes. And I feel like that's kind of what happened in my life too. So it feels mm -hmm. very poetic. It really does. Yeah. Um, and you know, Rob knows I love a theme now. I love a theme. I have one last question, but I'll say this as you, First, I was hearing you talk and I, I I think about the faith that, you know, we shared before and it demanded that we were always trying to become light. We were always trying to become something other than what we were. And I just think of, you know, Psalm 139, darkness is as light to you. And mm -hmm. I don't, God does not demand me ever trying to be something that I'm not. Like I serve a God who plays in the dark, mm -hmm. who who can exist in the dark places with me, right? Mm -hmm. And so there, when that shift happens, you stop trying to perform and be something other than who you are, <laughs> right? Like, oh no, God, God can get down here in the dark with mm -hmm. me. Hey everyone, it's Faith Brooks here. I'm so excited to let you know that my new book, Remember Me Now, A Journey Back to Myself and A Love Letter to Black Women is now available wherever books are sold. So go ahead and get yourself a copy, share it with a friend. And I am just so excited for you to get this book into your hands. And I can't wait for all of us to be able to talk about it soon. appreciate you rocking with us for another episode of three black men here's the part of the show where we ask a favor from you now earlier i mentioned a couple of ways that you can support us by joining our community over at patreon.com slash three black men we have multi-tiered support options and you can get bonus content if you don't want to do that you can submit a one-time contribution by finding us on paypal at three black men podcast at gmail.com but we ain't here to tap your pockets Here's a few ways that you can help us out without spending a single dime. You can stop what you're doing right here, right now, and make sure that you've left us a review and a rating. Don't just give us the five stars. Go ahead and write out how much you love this show and tell everybody about it. Do it on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you at. Make sure you leave that rating and a review, and that's going to help even more people join the fun over here. Thank you so much. I knew God loved you for some reason. <laughs>